Well, you've heard the little kids rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now, you know that's garbage. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can break our hearts. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller, and yes, you're listening to 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, golly, all kinds of things, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day, excited to be able to do something that is meaningful fulfilling and profitable welcome to the 48 days radio show well we got a lot of interesting questions today i'll give you kind of an overview of the gamut of things we're going to be covering today somebody asked five months after i interviewed a company they've now contacted me should i even consider them now dan what's the most professional way to tell a company that this job or organization is not a right fit after all can i just be a life consultant or do i need a niche. I'd like to start my own consulting practice related to accounting and business, but I'm concerned because I have no contacts in the area we're moving to. Should I self-publish or find a traditional publisher? Well, and on top of that, I've got some good news. Good news I want to share with you. Well, our episode today is brought to you by Fresh Books, our friends who are offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Keep on top of your finances. One of the biggest downfalls of people starting a little side hustle or their own full-time business is not keeping track of the books and all of a sudden April 15th rolls around. Oh my gosh, you mean I owe $40,000 to the IRS? Didn't plan on that. Don't get caught like that. Well, here's our quotation for today, and it's based on what I talked about just in the very opening. This comes from Robert Fulgham, who says, yelling at living things, and, and Robert's the one that wrote, you know, the little book, Everything I Needed to Know About Life I Learned in Kindergarten, those, that whole series of books. Yelling at living things does tend to kill the spirit in them. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will break our hearts. Absolutely. Got a little bit more about that. I got a real example of that that I want to share with you about the effect of words on plants. Stick with us. We'll get to that. Got our poem from Cliff Feitner, 48 Days Eagles member. If you haven't checked it out yet, Check out the action there, 48dayseagles.com. A lot of fun things going on. Cliff it keeps creating his poems. I'm drawing this one from the 48 that they already did. Four for each chapter, each of the 12 chapters and 48 Days to the Work You Love. This comes from chapter six. Cliff says, you say your chances are slim as you are not like her or him. But you're more than able. Bring your stuff to the table. Your potential is filled to the brim. Love those positive 
little poems that Cliff creates for us. Just embracing the principles of 48 days, but giving them in a rhyme form. Love, love, love what he's doing with those. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about my friends from FreshBooks. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? Yeah, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for being self-employed. Now, to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. You can see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. All right, now I want to give you an example about how negative words can have an effect on something we consider inanimate. It's not inanimate, but there was a teacher in um, Brazil who showed her students how negative words can make rice moldy. Now she decided to illustrate the power of words to her students by using two cups of sealed rice. So teacher Anna Paula Frazetto Martins arranged the class in a circle around the two cups of grains. Then she asked the students to say bad things to one of the cups. Things people might hear in everyday language life, you know, like you're useless, you're stupid, you can't accomplish anything, you know, you'll never amount to anything. To the second glass, the teacher asked the kids to say things they would like to hear from everyone. So the kids used such expressions as, you know, you're special. Wow, you're really smart. You can accomplish anything. Well, about five days later, the rice in the love cup fermented naturally while the rice in the hate cup became dark and moldy. I love those kind of things. I love those kind of experiments. Hey, I don't know. Try it yourself. We've heard it a lot of other times. How you talk to plants will affect them. Golly, we have beautiful plants in our house. Joanne very lovingly takes care of them. And I hope that they don't hear me saying negative things. And so the plants thrive, but probably some indicators there for sure. Hey, I want to share a couple other things that are just good news. You know, we're so inundated with the negatives, but it just makes me cringe to turn on, you know, the TV and to see the things that they consider news. They're just things that, golly bring out the very worst in people. And I don't know why they want us to know about that. There's a lot of good things happening around the world. Here's one. There's a guy who drives a trash truck in Bogota, Colombia, Alberto Gutierrez, who for 20 years has been saving books. Now he picks up trash in wealthy areas of Bogota, Colombia. And one of the things people throw out readily is books. He gathers, and then the guys who work with him on his truck know that he keeps his eye open for books. So they don't go scouring through, you know, every trash bin, but just the books. I mean, people a lot of times have 
have them in boxes just to throw out. He's been saving 50 to 60 books a day on his garbage route. So he filled his house where he lives in a poorer section of Bogota, Colombia. He's filled his house with over 20,000 books. Now, I didn't pay a penny for any of them. 20,000 books that were just being thrown out. But now he has a library that he has open on weekends to the poor families in his community. A lot of those kids don't have access to books. I mean, how cool is that? Love, love, love that idea. Well, here's another. Here's another good news. Uh, somebody on Tumblr just recently shared an inspiring story about her mom, who's a waitress. And she had this long time dream to go back to Italy and visit her family roots. So she says, my mom and I have been working the same waitress job for five to six years. About 15 minutes ago, this guy she waited on left and just told her to take care. Just that. Prior to that, her mom had talked to this guy about Italy. They got involved in the conversation. Her people are from Florence, you know, this and that. And of course, she's never been there. She's got eight years of art education, but she's just working a waitress job. You know, they talked about that. Uh, She's on her own, um, just trying to eke out a living, been stuck in a small town where she's not from. Well, the man tipped her $1,000. He tipped her $1,000 for her trip to Italy. Walked out, never said another word. They have no idea who it is. I love those kind of stories. Is, Is that cool or what? You know, when you think... Humanity is going down the drain. No, there's a whole lot of bright spots going on. Here's another one. A woman in 2009 lost her wallet. It had $141 in cash in it, her social security card, her ID, and she thought it was stolen out of her car while she was working at a summer internship. Now, eight years later, so again, that was 2009, eight years later, it's come back to her. Someone gave the wallet to a Boston police officer on Monday who then contacted Courtney through a pay stub found inside. Police officer brought the wallet to Connolly's sister-in-law's house <laughs> and nothing has been touched. The $141 is in there. I mean, even the fortune cookie message was taped inside reading, soon you'll receive pleasant news was still there. Now that's the, the timing is perfect. Courtney says she works as a nursing student and she wanted to enter a powerlifting competition that she really was passionate about, but she just didn't have the entry fee. You know what? The $141 is almost the exact amount that she needed to enter that competition. So sometimes when you think that things are going poorly, eh, you might get a bright spot. How about that? A wallet return eight years after it had been lost or stolen. All right, he got one more for you here. Good news. This just happened on Saturday. So passengers on a Southwest airline flight from Denver to Pittsburgh were treated to, you know, kind of a neat surprise. Before takeoff, the captain took to the intercom and explained that a very important person was on board. Today is a special day, said Captain John Ritchie said he's been with Southwest for 22 years. Ever since I started with Southwest, I've kept track of the passengers I've flown. And today I'm flying my one millionth passenger. The cabin cheered. Captain Ritchie strolled back through the cabin, presented his one millionth passenger with a bottle of champagne, an autographed copy of her boarding card, and an envelope of cash that equaled the cost of her ticket. He says, I did a little bit of snooping, found out how much you paid for your ticket. 
and one of the flight attendants captured that whole exchange has been viewed over 1.3 million times on Facebook, even as I'm recording this. And it just happened on Saturday. You know, I just, I want to insert some of those good news things, especially as it relates to work, people achieving their dreams. So there's sources for those. And I'm just going to be adding those along with success stories here, going to be including those things just as an uplifting part of the 40 Days Podcast. So be prepared. If you get good news, my goodness, share that with me as well. Again, there are things out there that are happening, and I want to over uh, overpower some of the negativity that we hear, both in words that are said to people and in the news that we listen to. Well, this comes from Chris, who says, Dan, I went for an interview for a position I wanted in January. But due to salary that I needed, I was not offered the job. Then five months later, so this is now you know, April. I, I mean, <laughs> this is April. This is June. Then five months later, I'm sent an email asking if I'm still interested in the company. When I responded in the positive, then again, I was left hanging for a week. In my emails asking what was going on, the hiring manager said he was working on some mid-range HR planning. Should I even consider this company now? Chris? Do you still want a better job now? I mean, absolutely. Don't mark the company off because you think they're jerking you around. Nah, there's so many things that happen in companies of any size. And if they have an HR director, they're probably over 50 employees. There's a lot of things there that we can't really control. They legitimately probably are doing some long-term planning. But you know, a lot of the people that I talk to who end up getting their dream job, outlasted the competition in kind of the way that you're describing here. So they went for an interview. Golly, they're all excited. Things seem to really go great. They say, man, this is really cool. And then they don't hear anything. Well, I tell people after you've interviewed, you've earned the right to contact them and ask them where things are going. You can do that every week. Well, what happens? Most people after two weeks assume, eh, they hired somebody else. Nah, you know, I need to go on with my... I hear from people all the time who contacted companies after they interviewed every week for three months, four months, six months. And then the company says, okay, we're ready to make a decision. And guess what? Nobody else left is in the competition that they interviewed with and liked. You're it. I mean, I've got lots of those stories. So don't try to berate the company. Don't try to belittle them for their slow follow through. The question is still, do you want a position with them? Are they a company that you'd like to be connected with? If they are, I mean, I, I hear from people all the time who are trying to get in with Dave Ramsey's company. You know, Dave and I have been friends for years and I have people, gee, Dan, you know, can you get me in the door? They have the most rigorous hiring practices of any company I am aware of. It takes a very long time. You may go through seven interviews over six months and then get a job for your dreams. But don't try to speed things up. Just because you're impatient, nah. So the, the question is, absolutely. Do you want a position there? Chris, hey, I'm going to send you a fresh copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love, where I outlined that process that you're describing there. Maybe give you a little uh, new encouragement for forging ahead with that. Now, this comes from Yvetta from Austin, Texas. I've been struggling to figure out my niche. I'm 48, single mom of four adult children. 
I've had some life defeats and multiple triumphs. I served as an assistant pastor for 18 years and felt like there was more I could offer the world outside the walls. I'm often told that my life experiences need to be heard. My efforts need to be duplicated. I also have a coaching certificate in women's issues. Do I necessarily need a niche? Can I represent as just a life consultant? And what things can I do to get myself and my experience out there to help others? Love what you do. Been listening since 2012. God bless. Well, thanks for your note, Yvette. Yes, you need to be specific. Don't be a generalist when it comes to coaching. And I listened to a podcast this morning. The guest said she works with couples with children in their first 10 years of marriage. All right. There are three categories. There are three qualifiers in that one brief sentence. Couples with children in their first 10 years of marriage. That's how you become known as an expert in something. Don't be a generalist. You can narrow down. I mean, we just had a coaching with excellence group here and we have always have really cool new examples that I never heard of, but we have a gal who's in our coaching mastery program now who is a heart coach. She says, I just hear, um, she's a nurse. So she's still working as a nurse at the Cleveland clinic. She's a heart coach. They recognized her coaching skills and asked her to meet with people patients and employees who have concerns to empathize with them and get an action plan going for them. But she's known as the heart coach. I love that. I love the specificity and I love the uniqueness of that. But yes, you need to have a clear value proposition. You need to complete that three part sentence that I talk about often here. I help blank do know or understand blank so they can blank. You have to have that. Otherwise, you're going to flounder. You're not going to have people drawn to you just because you're a nice listening ear. No. How do you specifically work with people? Now, I'm going to, I'm going to link you to a post on, that I wrote recently on how I make money coaching, Yvetta. So it, it'll help you kind of see how to get in the game. But let me go through just the 10 steps to get in your first coaching client. There's a lot of you who are thinking about coaching. You know, so 10 steps, identify your area of specialty. Don't be a generalist. That's number one on my list of 10. Just exactly what you're asking here. Number two, know your ideal client. You know, don't worry about being too narrow or rejecting a large segment of the population. You'll build your credibility and reputation much faster by being known as a specialist in a particular area. And then create your elevator speech. You know, even what I just described there. I help, do know or understand, so they can. I mean, that's a good elevator pitch. So you you can describe very quickly what it is that you do that's going to want to engage more in conversation. The number four, let your ideal client get to know you better. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. So if you're speaking somewhere, I mean, invite a potential client to come along with you. Send them a helpful article or book. You know, let the people who are in your target audience get to know you through other things that you're doing, maybe blogging, podcasting, speaking, you know, just showing up as a friend, a volunteer, you know, but get around those people who are prospects, make it easy to do business with you. We've got a whole list of things that we help our coaches do to make it easy to do business with you, to make it challenging, make it really easy. Number six, connect with other coaches. Don't see them as competition. See, it'll elevate your, remember the story from, 
Miracle on 34th Street. You know, I even mentioned that last week because the principal we came up there too. Where Santa Claus, Chris Kringle, recommended a store other than Macy's because they had a toy that Macy's did not. Well, at first Macy's was mortified, and then they started having customers saying, "We are now a lifelong loyal customer of Macy's because." He really looked after our needs rather than just trying to sell us something you had. Same thing is true with coaching. 98% of the requests that I get for coaching, I do not fulfill myself because I recognize somebody as another coach who's better in that area than I am. And I refer them. I match them up with somebody who I think is better suited to address their need than I am. So I'm very specific, but that increases your reputation, not diminishes it. Number seven, prepare a 20 minute speech around your topic. I mean, that can fuel your success like crazy. We've got people like Michelle Gooch in our coaching mastery program. She's rather introverted and shy, but she has a real clear 20 minute message she gives. She can, she cannot give that message like at a civic club or a luncheon or whatever. She can't get that without having people immediately want to engage her as a coach on the spot. That's how compelling her little message is. So she just does that as a way to keep her coaching funnel full. Number eight, volunteer to coach five clients through a worthy organization so you can get testimonials and referrals. Uh, Number nine, pitch yourself as a podcast guest. You've heard me talk a lot about that. If you're clear, see, if you're just a nice person, you're a coach, you're never going to get booked as a guest. But if you have a real clear story, you know, Aaron Walker, one of our coaches, seven years ago, hit a pedestrian and killed him. Wow. It changed his life. Asking himself, is he just successful? He was very successful. But the question is, is he significant? How's he going to be remembered? That message, that one incident has had him on over 400 podcasts now, and it's exploded his business because he has a real clear call to action as a result of what happened in his own life. And number 10, ask for the commitment. Be ready to ask. You know, one of the things you can do when you're talking to somebody who's a prospect and you have described clearly what it is you do as a coach and there's a clear need there, then you can simply say, you know, how about if we compare calendars and identify a time to get started? Well, very gentle, but just walk them right into making a firm commitment. Well, I hope that's helpful. All right, here comes a question. This comes from Nathan, who says, I discovered you through a college graduation gift, 48 Days to the Work You Love. Discovered your podcast a year and a half ago, listened to the weekly wisdom on my morning runs, and even during my first marathon. Hey, that's cool. So Nathan says, I'm looking to buy a gym franchise. I'm currently in due diligence and the business in question has for the past year's annual profits of 45,000, 50,000, 54,000 and 60,000. If I'm going to actively be engaged in marketing, sales and promotions of the business, how much should I pay myself? Well, you don't pay yourself anything in a brand new business until you see a clear positive cash flow. Uh, Just because they have shown annual profits of that, there's a lot of fun things that can be done in bookkeeping, but uh, don't get ahead of the game here in writing yourself big weekly checks for your pay. If you own the business, believe me, it has to be real money left before you get paid anything. 
So be very careful about just establishing a salary for yourself. You know, sometimes people want to get like a small business loan, as an example. So they want to borrow $250,000. The business costs 50000 but they want to pay themselves $100,000 for the first two years. I mean, that's laughable. I mean, my gosh, don't do that. I mean, never, never pay yourself out of money that you borrowed, pay yourself out of real profits the business is producing. So anyway, so in this, be careful about very mediocre profit figures that are being shown. You know that if they're selling the business, they have stretched every way legally and accounting way possible to show high profit. So you may have a, you may have trouble just duplicating that, but let's just, let's just kind of say that, uh, yeah, you get in there in the first 90 days, you see that it really is profitable and you establish something. Let's just go with that $45,000 as a salary. Now, what you want to do now, this has to do with how you set this up. If you're a sole proprietorship, if you're buying a gym franchise, chances are that you're going to either be an S corp or an LLC. But with either of those, you want to set up your salary to be a figure as low as possible because you're going to be paying 15% Social Security, you know, other tax obligations on that. Now, all the rest is going to flow right through to you personally anyway at the end of the year. But the tax structure and profits is different than what you've drawn a salary. Now, I am not an accountant. Far from it. I'm going to tell you just enough to prompt you to go get some, find somebody who is knowledgeable in this area, you know, contact a good accountant or CPA to help you set that up. That's a very critical kind of issue that can save you all thousands and thousands of dollars in taxes if you set it up properly, but it's got to be set up properly. If you're going to be buying a franchise, be prepared to work your fanny off to pay yourself anything. Hey, I'm going to, Nathan, I'll send you a copy of No More Dreaded Mondays. I really deal with this kind of thing in that book where you take an idea or buy an existing business, take it, go for it. Congratulations. God, I love what you're wanting to do there. Obviously, if you're doing due diligence, you've searched out the pros and cons, know what you're doing. That's a way to approach it. Now, this comes from RJ who says, after researching companies and finding places that would be a good fit, what is the most professional way to tell them after the interview process, even if they invited you to a final on-site interview at their expense, that this job or organization is not a right fit after all? Is there a certain period during the interview process that is best to let them know that the job or organization is not a good fit? Or is it best to wait for the job offer before explaining that the organization is not a good fit? Well, great question, RJ. To start with, I want to just reestablish here. The word interview in Latin means to see about each other. So an interview is not where you're begging the company to hire you. The interview by definition is you're there to see, is this a good fit? Are these the kind of people that I want to work with are what they describe as the position responsibilities, something that really tap into my best talents and skills at the same time they're saying, is this somebody we want our team? Is this person fun? Is this person honest? Is this a, a person that we want to be around and spend time with? So it's a two way process. So at any point, 
it's legitimate to say, you know, in light of what I know at this point, this probably is not a great fit for either of us. So that's legitimate to do that. Obviously, you don't do that in an arrogant way. You um, embrace and validate the fact that they called you in for an interview. And if they flew you across the country and you come in, sure, I'd go ahead and complete the interview. But I would not necessarily wait until they gave a job offer. If you wait until a job offer, they're going to immediately assume you simply didn't think that it was enough money. They're going to assume that if you tell them after an interview, but before they've given you an offer that you don't think it's a good fit, they're going to say, wow, this is somebody who's really clear on what it is they do and what it is they have to offer. It could be a real credibility boost. They may come back around to you for another position at another time because they see the credibility that you bring to that interviewing process. So yeah, but, but certainly don't under any circumstances, take a position just because you feel obligated that they interviewed you three or four times. I mean, if you go through like the Dave Ramsey scenario that I described, so you interview with them seven times and they fly you out to Dallas to meet with their team members when they're there or whatever. If you decide that's really not a good fit, don't think you're doing anybody any favors by taking the position. That is not what any company wants. Certainly not what Dave Ramsey wants. It's not what any good company wants. No, tell them, golly, thank you so much for the investment of your time and energy, but I really don't see this as a good fit. All right, this comes from Maiko, who says, Dan, I currently teach at the college level. I have a background in accounting and law but I've never had my own business. My family's moving due to a spousal transfer to a large metropolitan area several states away from where I currently live and where I have no contacts personally or professionally. We have children and due to my spouse's work, I will need to be available in the house and available to transport the children to and from school and other activities. Thus, I need a work from home, a flexible situation. I thought about starting my own consulting practice related to accounting and business, but I'm concerned because I have no contacts in the area. Any thoughts on how to develop this type of business in a brand new area? Any thoughts on whether this type of business could be done completely online? Any thoughts, period? Well, you know, I've, I've got lots of thoughts and you've dropped so many great questions in your question here that relate to other listeners as well. So I thank you for that. Here's what I would do. Now, if you're moving, I would just go ahead and move. I mean, it's certainly established where it is you're going to go. And if you have children and your wife knows where she's going to work, already has a position, you've probably identified the house you're going to live in. That's the start. What I would do is I would draw a circle five miles around from where you live. And then I'd contact 60 companies in that area. You, you don't, if you're in a large metropolitan area, I mean, if you live in Franklin, Tennessee, as an example, well, we have Nashville. Now it's just up the road, but it's about 20 miles up the road. And in a given day with traffic, it may take you an hour and a half to get from here to Nashville to go to work. I would never do that. Last night we had some friends over and, and he used to have a position when they lived up in the Connecticut area where he had a two hour train 
ride each way to his work. Can you imagine such a thing? I mean, don't do that. There's no reason to do that. There's way too many opportunities for what you're describing that you want to do and what you're a candidate to do within five miles of your house. I don't care where you live. If you're in a metropolitan area, which you've already described. So do that. Make, keep it simple. Keep the logistics simple. If you need to be available for your kids, you know, to and from school anyway, I mean, you don't want to be a long ways from home. So do that. Then identify who your ideal customer would be. If you're going to do accounting, book work, who is your ideal customer? If you're going to provide those services, you're probably talking about a company that has mm, fewer than 40 employees. I mean, if they, once they get to that point, they're going to probably have a full-time in-house person, maybe even fewer than that. You know I mean? You, I mean, there are thousands of companies that have five or fewer employees. You may want to identify companies that have five to 20 employees that are in that five mile radius. Then I'd make a list of 60 of those. So you don't waste your time going into companies that are really not a good fit, but identify 60, walk in the front door. I mean, yes, have a clear one sheet outlining what your services are, but just meet them face to face. That is such a different approach than emailing somebody or showing them something online you know, or putting a Facebook ad out there or something on LinkedIn, just walk in the door. I mean, the results for that are astounding. Um, Shane Putty, a sharp young business guy that lives locally here. This is years ago now. I had an office um, in a beautiful office in Brentwood, Tennessee, and Shane walked in the front door. What he was doing was starting a dry cleaning service. Now, not a dry cleaning business. He didn't do any dry cleaning, but knowing that professionals are busy and it's kind of a pain to load your stuff up and take it to the dry cleaners. And then you remember, golly, was it Tuesday or Thursday? I was supposed to pick that up. Well, he walked in the door and said, would you be interested in a service where I pick up your dry cleaning on Tuesday, bring it back to you on Thursday? If you have more on Thursday, I'll bring that back on Tuesday. So two days a week, you just pop in to pick up or deliver. Well, I said, absolutely. He was charging exactly the same thing as the dry cleaner did if you, if you took it in yourself. But now a dry cleaner, knowing that a lot of their business cost is related to marketing. It's very competitive. People don't drive five miles to go to a dry cleaner. They stop at the one closest to their house. So if he's bringing them business that they would otherwise have, they would otherwise not have, they're willing to pay a big chunk of that. He was actually getting 40% of the cost they were willing to pay him. And all he was doing was just picking up and delivery. Now this has been a long time ago and I ought to check Shane for the exact, but as I recall, he got something crazy like 79 customers on his first day of prospecting. I mean, it was just outrageous. I mean, he totally created a hundred thousand dollar year business on the first day of getting out to see who his customers would be because it was such an easy yes for customers to do once he had set up the back end and how that was going to work. That's what you want to do, Michael, with what you're talking about. Just walk in and talk to people. That's it's so easy to separate yourself from the crowd by showing up personally. It's so easy to separate yourself from people who are just promoting online or sending out, you know, those massive emails or putting something on Facebook or LinkedIn, just show up. I mean, that still makes a lot of difference. I mean, there's a young 
lady here in Nashville. Her name is Chila Muskin. She's a really gifted Christian music musician. She's from Romania. So she showed up in Nashville. Well, I met with her. She asked me repeatedly to meet with her to share ideas. And I finally did. But in the first, like the first 30 days that she was here, she had booked herself five times, churches, different events, restaurants, just booked herself just immediately. And she was having people ask her, how are you so lucky? You know, you, you just got to town and you're getting booked more than I get booked, you know, in six months. Well, guess what Chila does? On Tuesdays and Wednesdays, she devotes the first two hours of the day to picking up the phone and calling churches and organizations that would be prospects for what she does. She doesn't wait on them to just take the initiative and come knocking. She picks up the phone and calls. She makes at least 30 phone calls on those two mornings. And out of that, she never fails to get booked at least one or two times. Wow. Not complicated, not rocket science, just clear action. So here's the deal. You can show up in a brand new place like that. And it doesn't matter if you've lived in that area for 25 years or if you showed up yesterday. Taking clear action is what's going to get you the results. Just do that. Clear action. Well, great question. Golly love just kind of laying that out because it's so easy just to follow the steps to make that happen. Uh, the, the bookkeeper accountant that I have, Bonnie, golly, she's been doing my work for, I don't know, 12, 13 years. Um, she lives close by. She comes in one day a month. So it's not like we have staff meetings every Monday morning or and she has an office here. No, she comes in one morning a month. I have an, a list of what it is she needs. It's easy for me to pull that together very quickly. It takes me about 30 minutes the day before she's going to come in to pull together all the records I need from the previous month. I pull everything together, but she comes in physically. I don't want to have to, you know, give my checking book up and all the records that I've got, bank statements and all that. I don't want to just send that somewhere. I don't want to give somebody links to all that on. She comes in, we go through it, spend about two hours together. She has everything she needs. Boom. I get my clear PLs, the quarterly statements, tax deposits, everything. She does that based on just coming in, but she comes in physically for what you're describing. Bookkeeping consulting. Yeah. I still prefer somebody to walk in the door. I don't want it just to be virtual or in the clouds. Now, there are people who will do that. Obviously, there are thousands of people who are doing that, but you can set yourself apart for people like Dan Miller who still prefer that they do meet with somebody face-to-face. Great question. Let us know in your success. Walk right into it. I got a question here from Billy. Who Billy was the guy who a few weeks ago asked about going to get a PhD and he was, he had been lost his position as a minister and he was thinking about asking the people in his previous congregation for donations. You know, I kind of poo pooed that idea and we wanted to, he's really taken action. He is going to get his PhD has figured out very quickly some things that he can do to fund that has a question about self-publish traditional or another model. So Billy says, I now have another question regarding book publishing. I have a few book ideas and I've actually nearly finished one book in rough draft form that I would like to publish in some format. 
It's a 77-page document so far in landscape format and word, and it's an introduction to apologetics and its need in the church. Now, an apologetics is a branch of Christian teachings that answer questions and objections that others have regarding the Christian faith. So it's kind of a, a question answer, you know, explaining tough things. So Billy says, I've studied, I've been studying the topic for around 17 years and I have a master's degree in apologetics, but I wanted this book to be somewhat simple and show the need for apologetics in the church to the everyday person in the pew, as well as the church leaders. I've also browsed the web for ideas I see a conflict of information regarding the idea of publishing a book. Some say that self-publishing is a way to go because there's not as much to pay, if any, by way of a traditional publisher, but that one can get into some legal issues self-publishing. Others say traditional publishing is the way to go, but there's some more cost involved, but the publisher will then take care of many legal details. Additionally, would putting the book into an ebook format be superior to a traditional paperback hardback model? Finally, how would I go about proposing this book to anyone that might publish it? Well, and and, uh, Billy says, I'm on chapter 11, a no money, no problem of your book, No More Dreaded Mondays. It's really changing my thinking on the issue of money and wealth. All right, now a couple things. Billy, I'm going to send you a book proposal outline. You need to do that no matter how you choose to publish it. If you self-publish it, you still need a book proposal outline. It'll help you frame what it is you have to offer because it walks you through, you know, what's the unique proposition of this book? What is here that's not readily available in the book place already? You know, who are competitors that have a material that's similar to what it is that you're proposing here? Who's your target audience? How are you going to engage with them? You know, how many copies of this do you think you can sell yourself? So it goes through the business side of a book proposal. Writing a manuscript is not the whole deal. You hear me talk about that. I mean, you, you write a great book, do a really good job. I mean, I was told this by Mark Victor Hansen, co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul years and years ago. He said, you know, write a great book, do a really good job, have it published in your hand. Now you're 10% finished. 90% is okay. Now what? How are you going to promote that? How are you going to engage with people that make them want what it is you have in that book? So there's a lot to be said here in terms of creating a business model for writing a book. Again, no matter how you publish it, trust me, if you write a manuscript and you get a traditional publishing deal, your work is not finished then. They don't take that and go market that to everybody in the world, blah, blah, blah. You know, yes, does it help? Sure. I mean, I I work with traditional publishers on lots of things because like with 48 Days to the Work You Love, as an example, I was selling that and I was selling, you know, I was selling millions of dollars worth of that because with the connection with Dave Ramsey and how his radio show has expanded, I mean, I was selling a whole lot of that. I was making, uh, we were selling them for $39 a piece and most of that was profit. Then I got a book deal with a traditional publisher and my royalty is about a dollar and 50 cents a piece. Now, am I an idiot as a business guy or was there a reason behind that? Well, I was selling, you know, 50, 60,000 copies of that a year at $39 a piece, which is awesome. But now it's sold millions of copies. And I have translations in Romanian and Portuguese and simple Chinese and complex Chinese. And it goes on and on and on. I would never have been able to do that as an individual. So the distribution was magnified exponentially. 
And now everybody who has that has reasons in the book to come back to 48 days and get involved in other things where I make significant money. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons to do that. If you look at the, that's why you need to look at the big picture, but I look at every project in multiple ways. I look at every project in terms of what would this look like if we self-published it? The material that I have for starting your own mastermind, I put that out as a little ebook. So I put that out as an ebook. It's about 60 pages long, you know, nice graphics and everything. We did it nice, but I did it, wrote it probably in a weekend, how to start your own mastermind, put it out there as an ebook, $17. We sold a fire out of that. I mean, I was hearing from people all over the place who were buying that. I pulled it back in. It's no longer available as a $17 ebook. I pulled it back in, took the content, added eight short videos, put it up as a course on Udemy at $48. But now let me just have you think through, and all of you who want to write things, you know, pay attention here. I could take the content in that book, that little book on how to create your own mastermind, put it together in a traditional book form, get with a publisher. And I have publishers who will take anything that I do at this point. I'm fortunate in that regard. So let's say that I get a dollar 50 each. So let's say that we sell 10,000 copies. I mean, that would be a reasonable number for any book. Publisher would consider that a success. So we sell that 10,000 copies and I get a dollar 50 each. Well, that's $15,000. Now I welcome $15,000, but it's not going to change things a whole lot around here. What if I took the same content that I would have in that little book that would be a perfect pound bound book at $12 or whatever and put it into a course. So it's just a different way for somebody to experience the same content, but now it's a course. A course has a higher perceived value. So we make that available at $48 still reasonably priced. People love courses. And so now I'm still, I'm not talking about, you know, a million people. I'm not talking about a quarter of a million people or 50,000. I'm talking about what if I get 10,000 people? What if I only get 10,000 people to purchase that course at $48? That's almost half a million dollars. You're never going to get that in royalty from a publisher. So look at it in multiple ways. You, You can ramp this up You don't look at it in a lot of different ways and then decide what is going to make the most sense for you. I mean, that's really the way you want to approach this. Identify four or five different ways that you could get the message out there and then identify, okay, this does make sense to make it a little ebook. This does make sense to align with a publisher. Now you've got a topic that's going to be very polarizing, um, Christian apologetics. So you're going to have a very niche audience and you need to know how can you get to those people most effectively? Well, Hey, we're running out of time here already. My gosh, things are happening fast. We have so many great questions. Hope this has been inspiring for all of you listening. Hey, we're taking us out here with a little bit of different music today. Those of you who are in music fans probably can recognize it real quick. This is not our normal 48 days song. This is not original with me. This is you too. Hey, I got to do a tribute to you too. Taking one of my sons to hear you too on Saturday night. I am so jazzed. That's one of the things that's been on my bucket list. To hear you two live. I, to me, they're the most iconic music group in the world. Anyway, going to be able to cross that off my bucket list. 
going to hear you two live. Got a couple other things. We got another thing that we're going to do. Taking my son to see you two on Friday night. On Saturday night, we're going to a, a, a party, a Johnny Cash party. And if there's two people that have impacted my son, Jared, musically, um, they are you two and Johnny Cash. And Johnny Cash died. He wept for a week. Still wears black as a tribute. So we're going to have a big weekend going into Father's Day. Father's Day weekend, you two and Johnny Cash. Great stuff. Well, if you haven't found what you're looking for, great song, incidentally. If you haven't, make sure that you're creating a plan to bring that about. Get clarity on what it is that you're looking for take action moving you toward that hey and i just again appreciate the opportunity to be connected with you in this way check out the 48 days eagles 48 days eagles.com a lot of exciting things happen there people coming in every day sharing their new successes and helping others elevate the success path that they're on but i appreciate the opportunity to be part of your lives in this uh, simple way part of this organization part of this group this growing community where we are in fact finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a great week.